Hey, what is going on, guys? This is Rob Pearsall. Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Legends Cast. I'm joined here by my buddy Alex Corigliano Michelli for episode number two with this fine gentleman over here. Alex, how's it going today, buddy? Things are going well, Rob. I'm happy to be recording our second episode together. It's funny, my uh, my student just texted me. He's uh, he's a tenth grader, and man, he's obviously he's a Yankee fan, kid in the Bronx, so he is down bad right now. He just texted me. He's relieved that Degrom's not going to be pitching against his Yankees. Um, but Rob, I don't think that's going to matter much. No, and I think that. With DeGrom, I don't – we're recording this on Monday, August 22nd, right before the Subway Series. So I think Bug Bug Showalter, <laughs> Buck Showalter wanted to split Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer for whatever reason. But also DeGrom has been working back from his injury. So I'm not totally upset that they're giving him a couple extra days rest, especially with the extra off day on Thursday. Taiwan Walker has been rock solid all year. He'll be pitching tomorrow, which is Tuesday against the Yankees. So I'm not really super upset uh, with Scherzer going tonight against the Yankees. But if Walker is healthy, then I have no reason to be concerned. That bulging disc in his back is a little bit concerning, but hopefully he's feeling a little bit better. You don't want to have to go into that bullpen again and risk those guys getting even more playing time because they're probably so exhausted right now. So uh, if Walker's healthy, hopefully he can give them a little bit of depth uh, tomorrow night. So, Yeah, I'm not even going to lie. I was really hoping that the weather would kind of – wouldn't break today and that the game would have to be canceled so we can move it back a day. That way, you know, keep our guys still aligned with the Yankees but give them a little bit of rest right now. I really think they could use it. But you're right about that. Hopefully, you know, Scherzer's going to give them deep innings. Ty is going to be rested um, as long as that bulging disc in his back isn't so much of a big concern. We should be all set to go for a good series. We didn't meet with you guys last week. It was my birthday and I was indulging in the festivities. Alex joined me for the festivities a little bit on Wednesday. So that's where we were at. So we'll be catching you guys up on the Atlanta Braves series a bunch of new Mets players that have debuted in the last week, week and a half or so. And we will be talking about the crazy Philadelphia Phillies series that just finished up yesterday, which was Sunday. So with all that being said, a big thing I wanted to mention was that the Mets had, we counted nine players who made their team debut within the last handful of games. So we'll just go down that list a little bit. Obviously, before the Atlanta Braves series, you had Tomas Nito go on the COVID injured list. Michael Perez, who they picked up from the Pittsburgh Pirates, got activated. And he ended up having a pretty big series against the Phillies on Saturday and Sunday at the plate. And then even in Atlanta, excuse me, he threw out Ronald Acuna twice, right? Two times he threw out Ronald Acuna. So he made the most of his stint with the Mets. It looks like Tomas Nito is back in the Bronx. So Perez might be getting sent back down at the moment. There was, there's been no roster moves announced, but Michael Perez definitely made the most of his time with the Mets this time up. 
Speaking of catchers, we also lost Patrick Mazika on waivers to the San Francisco Giants. So, and me and Alex were just talking about this, or as I should say, Alex and I were just talking about this before the podcast. But Patrick Mazika, apart from a few moments, really was not that fun to watch. I, and all respect to Pat Mazika and all my boys who look like Pat Mazika. But looking at him, I just didn't see a major leaguer. Like, like some people, some fans are so mean, and like I've seen a lot of negative feedback towards like a Daniel Vogelback type, you know, like our big boys. But there's a long history of of proud big boys in the major leagues. It's a proud history of big boys in the NFL. Big boys are athletes too, and I look at Vogelback as an athlete. But Mizuki just kind of, you know, I don't want to dig in too much, but. Seeing him up at the plate never really gave me too much confidence. So Mike, Michael Perez, I mean, he really left. He really left uh, his uh, an impression on me. I, I'm full on the Michael Perez train. I think we need to we need to extend him. I think we. I feel comfortable now trading away Francisco Alvarez. We could get like a left. <laughs> we're gonna trade him straight up for um, a left-handed reliever. I know it's past the deadline, but our boy Steve Cohen can make something work. And I want to see Michael Perez behind the dish every single day. I, I kind of want to see him at other positions too. Like, I just want to have him play whatever. I think he's capable of it. I think they should just give the Mets the, the title already with Michael Perez. But in all seriousness, Perez did a really good job filling in for Nito, especially with all the injuries the team has had. Since we last talked, obviously, Luis Guillorme is, is on the shelf for three to four weeks. Carlos Carrasco is on the shelf for three to four weeks. Taiwan Walker has dealt with a bulging disc, like we just said. So there's been a lot of new faces. Uh, Michael Perez, obviously, being one of the more I, – I don't know how really to put this, but definitely the more, one of the more impactful ones. But did well, you want to say we're gonna talk If we're going to talk about impact, I think you have to bring up Nate Fisher. So, yeah, so Nate Fisher made his debut yesterday, as I'm sure most of you guys were watching. But if you told me at the beginning of this season, or even two weeks ago, that the Mets were going to win a game started by Jose Buto, who is also on the list of those players that made their Mets debuts recently. That was also his major league debut. A game that Jose Buto and and Nate Fisher combined to throw seven innings and the Mets would win the game, I'd be pretty amazed. Yeah, especially Nate Fisher. You know, the guy was just taking care of my mortgage pre-approval just the other day. So, you know, color me surprised when I see this guy up at the plate not wearing his traditional shirt and tie. And not, I said at the plate, but I'm talking about, you know, the, uh, the, the pitching mound. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying. The old rubber. The old, the old rubber, the old hill. Um, but he, I mean, phenomenal. I actually fell asleep for those middle innings, but the, I hear Nate Fish is the talk of the town. It was a long game, so I don't really blame you for falling asleep. The game was, what, five, like five and a half hours separated by a rain delay, so it was a long one. I mean, it started at one thirty and it wrapped up in the early evening, so, but Nate Fisher and Jose Buto. Buto, maybe a little bit of a, a less proclaimed debut, if you will, for lack of a better word. Nate Fisher obviously gets the press because he really saved the game, saved the bullpen, pitched three scoreless innings. Buto got rough, roughed up for seven runs, I want to say. 
six RBIs from the from Alec Bohm, two home runs. But overall, Alex, I didn't think Jose Buto looked terrible. Yes, I think he looked overmatched in the first inning. There's no taking that away. The Phillies were jumping on him early. He couldn't locate. But there were some things that I can take away. He was hitting 97 miles per hour on the gun with this fastball. I think that a guy like Buto, who signed for $5,000 as an international free agent six or seven years ago, for him to make the major leagues, to really grind through the minors and make it to the major leagues, there must have been such an array of emotions for Buto that, listen, not everyone's going to have the major league debut that Matt Harvey had when he first came up, or even Colin McHugh had when he first came up, or Vaughn Grissom on the Braves and Michael Harris on the Braves. Guys don't always make an immediate impact. They just don't. And I know that there's probably a lot of Mets fans out there right now who are not very high on Buto. And if Buto never pitches another game, whatever, so be it. I think that he has the stuff where he could be a major leaguer, but I think that it's inconsequential that this one outing is going to define his entire stint as the Mets, uh, as a Mets pitcher. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write him off after one outing. There were some things that I think were worth taking away. It just didn't work for him in Philadelphia, but his, he pitched a lot better than his line will, will indicate. Yeah, I think maybe Buck did him a little bit of a disservice, leaving him in for Alec Bohm on that second go-around where he gave up that three-run home run. Um, because you're right, he really did redeem that that really poor first inning. I know Buck said that they were one batter away if he didn't put a, um, get that final out, that they would have just pulled him in that first inning. He had over 40 pitches, right? Yeah, in that first inning, he threw about 40 pitches. So it was it was a rough one. I mean, I didn't think that he was going to last any longer than that. But that's what I really liked about the Budo outing. If there's going to be one takeaway, it's that he really did a good job of buckling down and giving the Mets a couple innings for a very taxed bullpen. And that's not an easy task. I mean, the guy is being thrown into a playoff chase. The Mets have been hurt by injuries. They're tired. And he went out there, and he really wore it for the team. But I'd like to see Buto get another chance. I think that he's ultimately going to end up as a right-handed reliever out of the bullpen, which I think that he has the stuff to do. But I don't think that this outing was as bad as Buto is. He's been he's been having a, a good season. He started the year with, I want to say, double-A Binghamton, recently was promoted to triple-A, and he, you know, him and Beatty, who were playing together, Brett Beatty, uh, playing together now in the majors, they both have earned that call up. So I'd like to see Buto get another chance. I think, I think if all things go right, we've probably seen the last of him this year, but I fully expect him, especially with, with how good he's been in the minors that we're going to see him next year as well, whether it is in the rotation, like give him a shot towards the summer or if it's as a right-handed reliever, I think he's definitely, definitely earned his licks. He, um, yeah, he, he, I, I believe in him. I mean, I believe in all of our, our guys. If there's one quality I have, I'm always rooting for pitchers no matter what, whether it be for our team or any else. I, I'm always excited about new pitchers. And you brought him up, but I think we definitely have to devote some time to Brett Beatty. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see you guys. There's a lot that's happened, obviously. But Brett Beatty getting the call up to the majors, I mean, that's huge. 
just to go over the list of the rest of the guys that made their Mets debuts in the last eight games we had, or the last X amount of games, whatever it is. You have Yolmer Sanchez, who they picked up off waivers from the Red Sox. Nate Fisher, who we talked about. Jose Buto. Left-hander Sam Clay made his debut this weekend against the Phillies. His Mets debut, that is. Devin Marrero, who was called up right before they pulled the trigger and called up Brett Beatty. And then Marrero was replaced by Sanchez. And then Michael Perez, RJ Alvarez, who had been with the taxi squad earlier this year and who was, who was on the active roster, but didn't get into a game. And then Rob, I want to, I want to say his name, but I think it's, I'm going to botch it, but Rob's a Strizny. So the Mets had have really been shuffling in and shuttling in some pitchers over the last week, week and a half to try to keep some arms fresh in that bullpen. But yeah, let's talk about Brett Beatty for a little bit. Obviously, Brett Beatty is a guy who, if the Mets hadn't gotten injured, Luis Guillorme, Eduardo Escobar going on the injured list, you're probably not seeing Brett Beatty this year. He's a guy who the Mets have made it clear they don't want to trade. He's part of their long-term plans. He was mashing in double A. In triple A, he had just gotten a little taste of the last level of the minors before they called him up. But the Mets kind of really had no choice. You're playing four very important games against the Braves. Obviously, they lost three out of four. You have four against the Philadelphia Phillies, two against the Yankees, and then three against the Dodgers at the end of the month. You really needed to call up an impact player instead of throwing Devin Marrero out there every single day. So what are your thoughts on Brett Beatty initially? What are your thoughts about his debut, his family being in attendance, and everything like that? What are your thoughts about Bay over his last week in the majors? I mean, what a what a beautiful day. When they when they first announced that they were actually going to bring him up, it was rumored at first, and then and then you know they formally announced it. I think the day before or the that morning they formally announced it, but everyone knew that he was coming up. Uh, I mean, first of all, you, the listener, and all of the Met fans out there, we thank you all for bullying the Mets to actually bring him up. I know there was a, a huge outcry when Devin Marrero was the guy coming up when everyone thought that Brett Beatty should be the guy. And it just seems appropriate. I think you want to give, I mean, look at the Braves, the Braves call, calling up 21 year old straight from double a, and these guys are significant. One of them, I'm not even going to give their, their names a shout out because this isn't a Braves podcast. So you can look it up yourself, but don't. Don't give them the time of day. They don't need to say that they're trending, no clicks. But they've made an impact right away. And Brett Beatty has proven that he can handle any pitching that comes his way in those levels of the minors. So he really had nothing left to prove down there. I think we already know that it was expected that he's probably going to be our opening day. If not opening day, he will be seeing the majority of at-bats at third base by 2023. So why not bring him up now? especially when we need the bats. And he proved himself. I was I was cooking, and I was talking to my wife. And I said, watch, this guy, Brett Beatty, I gave her the whole breakdown of who he is, why us as Met fans are excited that he's coming up and why she should be excited. And I go, I'm telling you, my prediction is bold, but but I see it happening. This kid's going to hit a, a run-scoring double. I want. I don't want to get too big. I said he's going to have a run scoring double in his first at bat, and then second inning begins. I think it's Jeff McNeil who gets on before him first. Was it Canna? Yeah, I think it was McNeil. I want to say the Mets really. That was the one game they won in Atlanta 
which was Wednesday night of last week. They jumped all over Jake Odorizzi, who is the starter for the for the Braves. Lindor and Marte hit back-to-back home runs in the first. So I think it was McNeil who got on base and set it up for Brett Beatty. So. And this kid just hammers it. It was the second pitch. First pitch is outside. And, and then that next pitch he sees, he launches it over the left field wall. His family goes crazy. <laughs> and he's just like running around. They don't give him the silent treatment at all. He gets ambushed by the players the minute he gets in. I think we all saw that image of Lindor giving him that big hug, which is definitely significant to me because and if, all, if all things go right, they're going to be um, battery mates in the infield for years to come. So seeing that, you know, 2022's, 2023's version of Jose Reyes and, and David Wright, hopefully going forward, you know, they'll be huge cornerstones of the franchise. And it was just really exciting to watch. He's cooled off a little bit since. He did have another impactful um, two RBI hit later on in the series. Uh, I think it was a two-run scoring single or double. But you know, even if he does nothing else for the you know the rest of the week or until Guillaume comes back up, I think he's the buzz is there, and we know that the pa- the power. He doesn't look like he'd have that much power, Rob. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's only twenty-two too. He also looks like a kid. It's like it's so funny to me that. You have guys like Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer who are these grizzly men, especially Scherzer who just is, looks like he's foaming at the mouth all the time. So intense, such a fiery player and such like a, just like a chiseled man. And then you look at someone like Brett Beatty and he looks like he just graduated high school and that's not a slight of Beatty. He's a great player, but it's just like, he's so youthful. And I think that's what you have to remember with him is that there's going to be growing pains. He's some guy, not every guy that comes up here is going to be your Wander Franco when they first come up or your, I don't, I don't know who, like who are like some, some rookies. That Julio have, Rodriguez. There you go. Julio Rodriguez. Like not every guy is going to come up here and is going to give you an all-star caliber campaign. So you got to kind of temper your expectations with Beatty. Let him kind of grow. Let him pick up advice from these guys pick up this feeling that he's getting from this pennant race right now. And he'll be back. He's going to be at third base for a long time. This is not a temporary move. This is a move for the future. And I think I got really excited seeing the Mets when they were showing the opening lineup graphic and when they were showing the defensive alignment. You know, you have Beatty at third base, Lindor at shortstop, McNeil at second base, Alonzo at first base. And just seeing that, you're like, this is the future. Like, these guys aren't going anywhere. Then you throw Francisco Alvarez into the mix, who will be the opening day starting catcher, I guarantee you, in 2023. That's your infield for the next five, six, seven years. That's going to be your infield. So that was really cool to see. I I think that the Mets made the right choice in promoting Beatty. And he'll, he'll have some bigger hits, too, the rest of the season. But he might not light the world on fire, but he's a guy who he's going to be very good. He's the number 19 overall prospect in baseball. So he's a guy that, you know, get excited for him. But, yeah, I was excited they called him up. Um, and then I think, he had the, I think he had a hit against the Phillies, too, I want to say, on Friday night in Philadelphia. So he he's done, he's done some pretty good stuff, but – yeah, that Braves series, obviously, all the Mets lost three out of four games to them, which was a little bit deflating because the Mets trounced them when they came to when the Braves came to City Field. 
a week and a half ago or whatever it was. So for them to lose three out of four after winning four out of five kind of stinks. But the Braves are a very good team. It's going to be a dogfight in the NL East. If the Mets lose the NL East this year, it won't be because they started to be to blow it. It will be because the Braves are as good of a team as they are. So it's going to go right down to the wire. Thankfully, the Mets have a bit of a favorable schedule that they could kind of take advantage of in September. But the Mets rebounded. The Philly series was not necessarily pretty. They won in pretty good fashion on Friday. But then yesterday, trying to get that that third game really was a grind. And it went down to the last pitch. But I really wanted to talk to you about that game because I think it's such a worthwhile game where so many things happened. We already talked about Fisher and, and Jose Buto. But this is how the game went down if you guys weren't watching. Buto lets up, lets up four runs and the Mets come back. Then Buto lets up three runs on the Alec Bohm three-run home run, his second of the game, and the Mets again come back. And then Gene Segura of the Phillies hits a home run in the eighth inning, gives them another lead, and the Mets have to face David Robertson in the ninth. And Mark Canna hits a second home run of the game. And then Brandon Nimmo hits an insurance run, which was super important because the Mets ended up winning only by one run. But it was a back-and-forth game. It was one of those games that was not enjoyable to watch in the slightest because you just could not get comfortable. You knew it was going to go right down to the wire, and just one team was going to come away with it. And that's what happened. But when the, when you're able to win a game like that, it, is, it feels so good. When you lose a game like that, it's so frustrating. But when you win a game like that, to come out on top – because really the Mets had no business winning that game, throwing Jose Buto and Nate Fisher in there. They really had no – no business being in that game. And they came back and the offense really picked them up and they gave them a much important win where they also picked up a game on the Atlanta Braves. So just really, truly an amazing game. Uh, one of those true statement games. I think it definitely harkens back to those early, those early season games where we kept coming back. It felt like, it felt like no, no lead was safe for the opponent when facing the Mets it definitely, for me, definitely harkens back to obviously the first time it came back against the uh, the Phillies earlier in the season. It makes me think of the Dodgers series, and yeah, honestly, those two, especially the that that initial West Coast trip that we have, I definitely got those vibes from this most recent road trip. Especially when you look at you know the Mets really catching the injury bug again, and that in that Dodgers and Padres trip. Our guys, remember that's when Lindora fractured his finger. Sterling Marte was was a little hurt. None of them, they both avoided the injured list, but our lineup was definitely shorthanded, and we saw how the weird like adverse effect, effects it has on the team, and how they really have. It's like a character thing. How they really just stick it through, and it, those games were ugly, just like these games were ugly. But they managed to come through anyway. We have the best offense in the league over the last. I want to say like since the all-star break, like most, most runs scored. I just, I just read, obviously some of them come in bunches. There was, you know, other games where we got shut out, but this is, that was a resilient game. And I think, and I think it shows that you know, the Mets are for real. Even if the Braves are coming up right up on us, you have to have some perspective. Look at, look at the Yankees right now. They've been falling apart. They're hot garbage. They look ugly. They don't look like the Yankees from earlier in the season and the Braves are good. If the Braves and the Mets were put into the American League East, the Yankees would be in third place with the Mets and the Braves ahead of them. That's how good 
this series is. And the Phillies would be right up there as well. The Phillies would be right up there as well. This is a tough division. This division, as it turns out, is as advertised. With the exception of the Marlins aren't as good as we thought they'd be, but they still have really good pitching. And we're going to see them soon. And we're going to continue to show just how good the Mets are right now. So, Alex, I have some roster moves for you. Since the Mets are going to be playing tonight, we'll see how much of the game gets in. But the Mets have announced some roster moves, okay? I don't believe Alex has heard these yet. So, not that they're that important. But Tomas Nito returns from COVID injured list. Right-hander Connor Gray called up from AAA Syracuse. Right-hander Jose Buto option to AAA. Left-handers Nate Fisher and Rob Zestrizny designated for assignment. What a cruel world that is for Nate Fisher. Uh, you're pitching three three innings in a very important game against a division rival, and you really carried this Mets team. And the next day, uh, hey, Nate, go fly a kite. Go fly a kite. Gosh, wow, <laughs> baseball is so cruel. I think we all saw the writing on the wall. Uh, that's just kind of the nature of, of baseball, especially – especially recently with the, the call-up rules and how they teeter with the uh, tinker with the 40-man roster throughout the year. That's tough for Nate Fisher. Maybe he clears waivers and gets to be outrighted back to AAA or something. Maybe after that that you know impressive debut, another team claims him. I wouldn't blame them for that. And then he'll just join the ranks of, of Mets legends. But you'll remember his name, I'm sure, because that's just the nature of the, um, just the nature of the game. Some might say it's the Nate-er of the game. Get it? Nate Fisher? I am exceedingly impressed by you and your and your acumen. <laughs> you, you amaze me, Rob. That was so good. <laughs> I figured I had to drop the little pun there. But I think the big thing in the Phillies series that really can't be understated is Mark Canna absolutely coming out of nowhere. Not that I should say coming out of nowhere, but really just – carrying the team on his back, the offense on his back in that game. I mean, Canna has 10 home runs this year, I believe. Three of them have come in the last four games. He's a guy who he had COVID this year. He's been kind of a platoon guy for the most part. Like even before the Mets got Tyler Naquin and Darren Ruff, he was a guy who they weren't playing every day necessarily. Obviously he's a veteran. He played many years with the A's, but Canna really stepping up to just – I mean, the Mets don't win that game without him. There's like obviously, it sounds silly to say that, but that that is what what a performance from Mark Hanna that was, and just really really shows that this team all year has gotten contributions from mostly everybody that's come up here, minus of course like Thomas Zapuki who let up like ten runs in two innings against the Giants. He didn't really help much, but everybody else, the regular guys, have all had their moments, right? Even Eduardo Escobar, who's been very frustrating at certain times this year. He's hit for the cycle this year. Pete Alonso's having another great home run. Jeff McNeil, who we'll get to in a second, and and Francisco Lindor, who will kind of piggyback off that, have been amazing up the middle for the Mets. Luis Guillorme has been a big contributor. Starling Marte has been as advertised for the Mets. Brandon Nemo's having a great year in center field. These new guys that have come over, Vogelback, Ruff, Naquin, have all had their moments. Edwin Diaz is having a great season. So you just look at all these guys that the Mets have had contribute, and they've all done their thing at some point this year. So that was a big game for Mark Hanna, and I think that that really solidified his his place in Mets fans' heart, uh, in Mets fans' hearts, 
after in, the, in the collective heart of Mets fans. No, you were right. You were right. In the Mets fan heart. Oh, we all know we share that one heart. But I, I am glad that you brought it back to Canna because he's definitely been a little bit unsung. He's he's been consistently pretty good all year. I'm pretty sure he had a career career on base percentage of like 385. I think I remember. Uh, that's probably a crazy number, but I think that might have been his on base percentage last year. But anyway, really he he didn't fall into a platoon situation after starting this season really hot against the Phillies um, back when the season first started. And I think the only reason he kind of fell out of favor with the um, I want to say out of favor with the Mets, but kind of found himself in that platoon role is because of the lack of power. That's right. That's your can alarm here. Guy's hot right now. I need a fire truck. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But in all seriousness, if he could show the, the bit of power that he has right now, then then he's going to see more at-bats. Uh, because, yeah, he was falling into platoon earlier in the year. They were kind of platooning him with, with Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil, when, they were seeing, when he was seeing time and left, and they were playing Guillaume regularly at second. Now he's kind of platooning with Naquin, who started off real hot, but has since kind of teetered off. So they might choose now to keep uh, kind of in against left-handers pa- or against right-handers perhaps, like not be so strict of a platoon. They, they kind of leave it flexible and up to the matchup because he does have opposite splits this year. He has been hitting better against right-handed pitchers. And so we'll see. I know they prefer to leave Jeff at, at second base, although we did see him at left field um, earlier in this uh, road trip but yeah and then back to Jeff McNeil Jeff McNeil ladies and gentlemen has a top 15 overall uh, wins above replacement he's having a crazy productive season right now he's been absolutely on fire in the last 23 games he's he leads the majors it's a very selective stat but he does lead the majors in war in the last 23 games at a resounding two which is crazy <laughs> over 23 games he all he does is hit all he does is hit. He's been hitting lots of doubles recently. His base running is very underrated. He he just he, he can really fly. Um, it's just because he has like that tight turn around the bases. It's really I mean, he just has amazingly strong fundamentals. What do you observe about Jeff? I always thought it was ridiculous that this entire offseason people were calling for Jeff McNeil to be traded. I always thought that was the most ridiculous thing. I don't think batting average is a particularly important stat because it's flawed, but Jeff McNeil is a career 300 hitter. And that was going into this season. He was hitting like 299 for his career. It seemed silly to me that a team would give up on him. Not that the Mets did. He's obviously still here, but he had one bad year and fans wanted him gone. And I thought that was so silly because McNeil has always been a pure hitter. He's been a guy that is gritty. He's a good fielder. He grinds out at bats. And I really, really thought that he was going to rebound this year, and he he has. I was reading earlier that both McNeil and Lindor are top 15 in wins above replacement this year. And Lindor is at 5'5", and McNeil is at 4.5. So those two guys have been absolute important pieces for this offense I think McNeil is a great player. I think that he's not a guy that's going to hit a million home runs, but he's going to give you some quality at bats. He's going to get on base. He's going to slap the ball the other way. He doesn't try to do too much of the plate, and he's really honing back in on the guy that the Mets had in 2020 and 2019. And he was an all-star this year for a reason. So McNeil, is a, I've always been a big feel, fan of him, and I will continue to root for him. 
and that revisionist history of not revisionist history, recency bias that fans had last year with McNeil. You got to put that to the side because he's a great player and he might've had a bad year, but he's back and he's better than ever. You can't underrate how, how meaningful it is to have a high batting average. I know with the rise of like money ball thinking in the major leagues, we value on base percentage more obviously because on base percentage measures, not just hits, but how often someone gets on base, which obviously batting average doesn't measure walks, but in baseball, if you recall, it's see the ball, it's catch the ball, throw the ball, hit the ball, and batting average measures hits. And you can't undervalue what a 300 hitter does to your ball club. It it, it melts it melts the um, the opposing pitcher's minds. Look at look at um, Spencer Strider and how frustrated he is. Jeff McNeil is the poster boy of that high um, BABIP type of of stat where. He just finds places on the field to, to hit the ball, and he gets on base. And it's that death by a million paper cuts that he brings and that he really highlights for this Mets offense. I know last year he had such a tough year. I've read that you know, he was, they were trying to unlock more power in him. They were encouraging him to kind of hit the ball harder, and he was trying to like raise the ball too much and he was getting under it. And those, that traditional type of slap, slap the ball, get on base um, – style for him was kind of taken away from him and he just, and it wasn't working. And so it's really great to see classic McNeil. He really does bring so much to this really diverse set of skills in the infield. You have Pete Alonzo who just mashes at first base. He's never going to get the type of love from, from war um, as a first baseman, as a, as a average defensive first baseman, maybe slightly below average, although he has made a lot of strides. But he gets those RBIs. He this past uh, you know road trip, he's now sort of past 100 RBIs for this season, well on track once again to pass. Um, was it Mike Piazza and Carlos Beltran for the lead in um, RBIs in a season? Yeah, I could. I mean, I definitely think that's going to end up happening. He's already over 100 now. I think he has what 102. 102. So and we the Mets still have six weeks left of baseball left, seven weeks of baseball left. So you have all of September and then the season even seeps into October this year or so. And we still have nine days left in August. So he's, he could get there, but yeah, I mean, Alonzo first base war is tough. He's a guy who when all said and done, he'll probably give you a four win above replacement season, which is really good. That'll be online with what he gave them for his rookie year this year. So Alonzo is a very important guy. And, Truthfully, I mean, he's turning into one of the best homegrown Mets of all time. I, I would go out on a limb and say, I mean, he's from the moment that he's come up to the to the major leagues, he's performed and he might have had a little bit of a down year last year. I guess he was a little hurt, banged up. But I mean, Alonzo is he's a guy who he's he's the household name for the Mets now. He's the guy that everyone knows who Pete Alonzo is. He embraces it. And he's going to continue to go out there and perform. He likes the big stage, I think. He wants to be there. He's a guy who he performs in big moments. And I, and I think that you can say that about a lot of the Mets on this team right now. Lindor always seems to turn it up a notch yes. when, it's, when it's a big game. Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, DeGrom. You saw how the fans reacted to DeGrom when they were playing against Atlanta and against Philadelphia. They want to be on that stage. Max Scherzer's been there. Edwin Diaz. Like These guys have a tenacity to pitch in these big games and to play in these big games for the players that aren't pitchers. I would really hope Alonzo wouldn't pitch in a big game, but even if he did, I think he would do okay, actually. But, yeah, I mean, McNeil 
and Lindor. I mean, it's just been such a good season. And this is the most cohesive team. And listen, you can say what you want about this team. They have their flaws. I think Billy Epler should have done a little bit more at the trade deadline to address the bullpen. That's why you have so many guys that are getting shuffled in and out of this bullpen right now. But even still, I think this team still has what it takes to go far in the postseason to make a World Series run this year. They just seem to have that magic that you felt in 2015, that you felt in 2006, that you felt in 2000. It feels like that kind of year again. To me, at least, Alex. I don't know if you feel that way, too, but I have that feeling about this 2022 Mets team. Oh, no, for sure. I think it's just a lineup that's filled with guys who are prepared to meet the moment. They don't cave under pressure. They do what they have to do when they're at bats. And I think what you mentioned with the with the bullpen is very valid. And especially with the way that the modern postseason has kind of devolved into a game that is dictated by the amount of innings you get from your bullpen and not from your starters. Although I do think with our quality starters that we have, we are going to see more of a more of an Astros mold. The Astros starters kind of go against the grain with the current major league trend where they actually get innings. And I think you are going to see our guys really get um, getting pushed, averaging at least six innings a start, some of them seven. And if you're getting seven innings from our guys, then the bullpen doesn't mean as much. And we definitely have better high leverage guys than anybody else. Adovino has been, been clutch. He's been great. And you, and then, and then what's that guy's name? <laughs> Diaz. Diaz. I was like, oh, who's he thinking of? Michael Givens or something? <laughs> but my concern with the bullpen, and we won't talk about this too much because it's a little off track, but I really think that the Mets just need the guys that are internal right now to perform. And, and it seems simple to say that, but you need your Michael Givens, who is the big – acquisition of the trade deadline to perform and give you quality innings. You need Trevor May to be a little bit better. And maybe this is the kind of guy Trevor May is, but, and maybe he can't be pitching in high leverage situations, but you're going to get a couple guys back at some point this year. And that's going to be Drew Smith. Who's been out. He's going to be back at some point. Tyler McGill is going to be a bullpen guy. Joey Lucchese might come back and he might give you some innings out of the bullpen. I really am a little bit disappointed because I wanted the Mets to pick up Ken Giles. He just got released by the Mariners. He was picked up by the Giants today. But you got to have these guys step up. But you hope that you're starting pitching in the postseason. When everyone's healthy, you're looking probably at a rotation of DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, and Carrasco in the postseason with Taiwan Walker and Tyler McGill and those guys in the bullpen. You need those guys to go deep into games. You want to just have to get to the point where you need uh, just a slight bridge to Adovino and to Diaz. And hopefully if you do that, and you might have to pitch some guys in the seventh inning sometimes, hopefully if these guys are more rested, your Trevor Mays, your Drew Smiths, your Michael Givens, your Seth Lugos. Even Seth Lugo has been pretty good. I got to say, Seth Lugo has been pretty good. If he's your seventh inning guy, I'm okay with that. He's had a couple games this year where he's pitched bad on back-to-back days. I think Lugo's pitched pretty well, actually. I got to give him that. He's definitely turned the narrative. I think definitely, um, we definitely saw the worst of our regulars this week, this uh, past week in the bullpen. Uh, Givens, Trevor May, not looking great. Even Diaz was super shaky yesterday. <laughs> I was shitting. Am I allowed to say shit in my pants? Yeah, I'll just mark it as explicit. Yeah, you know, explicit. Or we could just censor that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. He, he was looking wild yesterday. All of our main guys just 
couldn't meet the moment, and that's and that's okay because they're all really taxed right now because of the injuries to Carrasco in Taiwan and how it's just kind of trailed into the rest of it. So hopefully, you know, we get a good quality seven innings from Scherzer today, and then when we have our off day on Wednesday, we could you know rest our guys more, and then we'll we could depend on May, Lugo, Diaz. When Drew Smith comes back, I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see early season Drew Smith make a return. Drew Smith getting models numbers. Um, Drew that that Drew Smith is going to be back in our um, in our bullpen soon. Mark my words. And then yeah, uh, Rob, you mentioned it too. But Luke Casey, who had a who had his first rehab assignment yesterday, he's potentially going to be you know that lefty in the bullpen. We'll see. But I mean he he I, I mean he had really nice stuff last year, and hopefully if he could be. Uh, bullpen guy that would be huge especially since Lucchese's a lefty too the Mets have really not had like they're they're really feeling the loss of Aaron Loop this year in the bullpen for lefties and Aaron Loop has been pitching pretty good for the Angels his numbers won't reflect it but they're pretty much in line if you look at his baseball savant page with what his numbers were this uh, last year at the Mets but the Mets really tried to replace him with both Chase and Shreve and Joely Rodriguez. Shreve is long gone. Joely Rodriguez has pitched okay at points, but he's also looked shaky at points. So they really haven't had that lefty out of the bullpen. You thought they were going to get one at the deadline, and they didn't. Nate Fisher is a lefty, and he just got designated for assignment. Maybe he passes through waivers. Maybe you have something there with him. Sam Clay, I think, is a non-factor. He's a lefty, but he's a guy who has an astronomical ERA in his career. So maybe Lucchese gives you a little bit of stability as a lefty out of the bullpen. But I think if you make it to the postseason, your bullpen looks a little bit better, especially if these guys like Tommy Hunter, like Drew Smith, like McGill, if they come back and they're healthy and they're pitching out of the bullpen. And then you even have a Taiwan Walker pitching out of the bullpen at that point in the postseason if everyone's healthy in the rotation. Obviously, there's a lot of time to go before that. You never know how Carrasco is going to heal. You don't know if this injury is going to be lingering for Taiwan. But there's some guys coming back. Hopefully, they can contribute. But I think that regardless of what happens this year, the Mets have to upgrade the bullpen in the offseason. That has to be a prime thing. But I think the Mets still have a chance to go deep into this postseason regardless of their bullpen. The Nationals in 2019 did not have the best bullpen and they ended up winning the World Series, so we'll see what happens. And you don't, and you don't need, you don't need uh, a high leverage quality left-handed reliever in your bullpen. The Astros do not have a lefty reliever in their bullpen. There is kind of a dearth of lefty relievers right now in the major leagues. Ever since they introduced that three batter rule, it's very hard to justify having a lefty guy who who only pitches well against lefties and keep him in for three batters. You know, you don't have. Pedro Feliciano coming in just to face Chase Utley and Ryan Howard anymore and then sitting his ass down. That's not today's major leagues anymore. It's very different. So you don't see a lot of a lot of top lefties like well, you don't see a lot of lefties in the major leagues right now. Mostly just like, you know, you have your high your high octane guys who have a name for themselves, but your 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 type of like middle of the road lefty reliever just doesn't really exist anymore. And so if you know, if we go into the postseason with just the guys that we have, I'm comfortable with it as long as we're not depending on them to get a lot of innings. And that's really what it's going to come down to. Uh, I'm going to segue this last thing into our final segment, but 
Welcome back, Travis Jankowski. Travis Jankowski re-signed by the Mets to a minor league deal. He is back with the team. Maybe we see him again as the rosters expand in September and a week and a half or so. I know that Buck really liked Jankowski and having that speed off the bench you might want. But welcome back, Travis. Stony Brook uh, alumni. I wanted to say native, but alumni. And so, yeah, with that being said, let's remember some guys. Alex, would you like to start, sir, or would you like to me to start? Why don't you start this time? All right. How about you give me a year like we did last time, and I will think of a guy. All right, Rob. Give me 2014. 2014. That is a good one. 2014. The first guy that came to mind from the 2014 team was Justin Ruggiano. And I, I think he was on the 2014 team. Some of those years, the 2013 and 2014 teams. But I want to say he was on the 2014 Mets. Um, but do you remember Justin Ruggiano, the outfielder, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember how, how much he played, but that, I definitely remember that name. Uh, was he like a like a local guy too? He's he kind of sounds like it. He seems like he could be from Yonkers, New York. Hey, I'm Justin Ruggiano. I'm hanging out at Nugent's Pub. So let's see. He's from Austin, Texas, and he played on the Mets in 2016. So I was wrong. Mm. So does that mean I have to think of another guy from 2014? I think you could just stick to Justin Ruggiano. What were your? Do you remember? Obviously, he's someone who left a mark in your head. Do you have any like impressions that you want to share about Justin Ruggiano? Any memories of him? I remember when he first came up in the majors, I believe he was with Miami. And I remember like kind of liking him from afar. And then the Mets got him in 2016. I always thought it was, it was earlier for some reason. A lot of those years kind of blend together. Maybe I'm thinking of Vinny Rotino. I think that like, I just get those, those, you know, like Ruggiano Rotino, like those kind of last names mixed up, but I want to say he had some sort of big hit as a Met, whether maybe it was like a triple. I think he had like a triple or something in San Francisco. So Alex is on the is on the clock right now. He's he's typing it in. I want to say that he he had a big Mets moment. I think that he had. Okay, so August twenty third, twenty sixteen, Justin Ruggiano hits big. Uh, Ruggiano hits longest home run by Met in Statcast era. This was six years ago. Was it in St. Louis? It looks like. Yeah, I mean, this is 2016, so StatCast started in 2015. So, you know, it's a short era, but yeah, if you would think of, this is a quote from MLB.com, uh, if you would think of Justin Ruggiano, who stamped his place in franchise history, the projected 461-foot blast in the fourth inning, uh, yada, yada, but he did it. Wow, how past, about that? Past Joanna Cespedes. So, as we were looking it up, I'm just going back. He he had a grand slam against the Giants. That's what I was thinking of. I knew he had a big hit against the Giants. So that was that's what I was thinking of. But that's Justin Ruggiano. He's our legend. Alex, what about you? Do you want me to give you a year or do you want to just freeform it off the head? I'm gonna freeform it off the head. I'm not I'm not as equipped as you are. I I feel like I have to go through like every Mets roster, like every single person who might who touched who who touched it? Who who owned a Mets jersey in the last like twenty years to compete with you? But I do want to bring up someone who was probably my first favorite Met. Now that I think of him, besides Mike Piazza, uh, Ty Wigginton. Ty Wigginton. Do you have a special thing that you kind of remember about him? I do. I want to add to it after you're done. But I love Ty Wigginton. 
I actually had him as one of my favorite Mets on the back of my Little League baseball card, too. So he was definitely a fan favorite. I don't remember anything that he would have done because I wasn't super plugged in to the Met, Met games at the time. I think he played in 2003, so I was 10 years old when he was with the Mets. I just I just remember him. I think I had a Newsday spread uh, of like the team photo on my wall, and so Ty Wigginton was there. I think he was just – I probably owned a Ty Wigginton baseball card. That's definitely the, uh, the source of my – of his appeal to me. And I remember being really upset when I don't remember if they traded him or when he left, but I was really upset when we lost Ty Wigginton. I was like, what, how are we going to replace Ty Wigginton at third base? Who could we possibly have that's going to replace Ty Wigginton? And then of course, no one really remembered him at, not want to say no one, but he didn't really leave a mark because obviously our next third baseman was David Wright. But yeah, Ty Wigginton, I was I just, I was always fascinated by him. Like I could have sworn we had him in 2004 or, or later, but I think 2003, when I was looking him up last time, was the last time we saw Ty Wigginton in a Mets uniform. So funny enough, he was traded in 04 right before David Wright made his mark on the Mets. And I think that Wigginton kind of – the writing was on the wall for him because he – obviously knew that David Wright was coming up and they played together. He So he debuted in 02 with the Mets and he played with them until 04. What I want to bring up, there's two things. So they traded him at the 2004 trade deadline to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I believe we're going to check this right now, but I believe Jose Bautista was involved in this trade and Chris Benson was also involved in this trade. So they traded Okay, so they traded Wigginton to the Pittsburgh Pirates in a six-player deal for pitcher Chris Benson. I believe that Bautista was also involved in that trade. The only the other thing I wanted to add about Wigginton is that I actually met him at a baseball card show probably in 2003 with my dad. My dad had brought a disposable camera to a baseball game, and we took a bunch of pictures and got them developed. And one of them was of Wigginton at the plate. And they're just these shitty cameras. So the picture wasn't great, but you could tell it's Wigginton. Brought the picture. He signed it. And I said, hey, thanks, Ty. By the way, say hi to Jose Reyes for me. Because Jose Reyes is my favorite player. Because he came up in 03 and he was electric. And Ty Wigginton was probably like, shut up, kid. You know, something like that. So, But yeah, Wigginton, he was a great Mets legend and someone that I really liked. And he had some pop, too. I think he had a home run one time against the Yankees in the subway series. And we're talking about that since that's happening tonight, but I believe he had a big home run against them in the subway series one year. Yeah. I mean, that's really all I have to say about Ty Wington. He just, you know, you know, when you're just like a fan of baseball or a fan of any sport, for some reason there's a random player that just sticks in your head. Like for me, that's Ty Wington with the Mets, with the Knicks. I always had Steve Novak, who was a sharpshooter for the 2010 2009, 2010 Knicks. For some reason, he's just always in my head. These guys just like take up so much real estate. But yeah, big Ty Wigginton fan. And um, any other notes before we end recording? Well, upon looking at his Wikipedia page, Wigginton was also traded to the Houston Astros for pitcher Dan Wheeler from the Devil Rays. And Dan Wheeler, if you remember, was also a Met back in the day. He was the original Wheeler before Zach. And Dan Wheeler was a guy who I was always really bummed that the Mets traded because he ended up having a really good uh, career as a reliever. But it's a nice little interesting anecdote there. But no, uh, that's it. Alex, great recording with you as always. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next time.
Ta-ta, everybody.